prepared to go day one. We're going to jump into Matthew chapter 16. And I do let me let me just say this. I love the Bible and we are note takers here. Do we have any note takers in the house? Come on, that is just something that is the culture of this church because we believe that we should and could read the Bible on our own. And that it's not the responsibility of one man exclusively to feed you because that would be like eating once a week. And although that might benefit some of us for a few weeks, <laughs> praise God, January and June, we eventually would die of malnourishment. And so what, what Sunday will always be for you is an impetus for you to jump into the Bible deeper on Monday. But how many of you know what we do on Sunday still works on Monday, okay? And some of the power that you experience in this corporate setting, you can and should access this power in your own personal life. So even, you can even try it on the car ride home. Put these same worship songs on, on the car ride at home and start to cry out to God. You'll feel his presence, am I right? Any car worshipers? You ever get so sucked into a worship session in your car, you start going blind from the tears in your eyes and you're thinking, this couldn't possibly be God because I might die. <laughs> the same songs playing in heaven. I think that's how he transitions you if you do die in a car accident uh, as a result of worship. He just may, he has heaven cue up the same song so it's a smooth transition. You open your eyes and you're like, the gold roads? <laughs> Certainly not on Long Island no more. All right, comedy hour is over. Let me rebuke you. Let's go. Did <laughs> somebody laugh? The holiest people laughed the loudest. Everyone else sank into they they started, they took their recliner button and started going. <laughs> Just recline all the way until you're in your car. <laughs> Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 says, Then Jesus went to work on his disciples. Uh, it's time to go to work on y'all. This is what Jesus said, red letters. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. It says, you're not in the driver's seat, I am. Come on, that's where she got the song, Jesus Take the Wheel. You didn't know that was scripture, did you? This is the message translation by Eugene Peterson, by the way. Don't run from suffering, embrace it. It's not gonna be leaving Long Island that makes the suffering go away. It's gonna be you embracing it. You all see that in the Bible? It's not gonna be leaving your spouse that makes the suffering go away. It's gonna be embracing it. Y'all see that in the Bible, right? It's not gonna be leaving the gym that causes you to get bigger. It's gonna be suffering and embracing the suffering. You see that in scripture, right? You have my translation, don't you? Jesus says this, follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Every time you read this scripture out loud in the message translation of Barnes and Noble, somewhere dies. Self-help is no help at all. You'll get it. <laughs> the readers got it. The, the English majors were like, <laughs> I have an English degree, I could say that. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way to finding yourself, your true self. I think as a pastor, one of the things that I hear the most is how do I find myself? I'm on a journey of discovery to find myself. I have tattooed and pierced and dyed my whole body and I have not found myself. I've date, dated multiple people. I'm on every dating platform with different names and I have not found myself looking for other people find myself. I have three degrees, a ton of debt. It wasn't worth it. And I still haven't found myself. 
I hear this every single week. Jesus says, self-help is no help at all, but self-sacrifice is the way. My way to finding yourself, your true self, what kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself? What, what could you ever trade your soul for? Self-sacrifice is the way. Duct tape and, uh, we'll, you know, what, what do you say? Gaff tape will change your life. I think we've learned so much in this church as a result of self-sacrifice. This is a church that's not being built on the talents of a few, but the sacrifice of many. Who's the many here? I, 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 from the very beginning, Pastor Julie and I had made it a point to launch a church that was impossible to do a Sunday without many. Jesus birthed a movement called the church that was impossible to do by himself. Isn't that incredible? But you think you're gonna do your thing by yourself. Yeah, keep thinking that. <laughs> There's a power in unity. There's a power in team. And many of you are on the verge. Somebody say, on the verge. Come on, touch the person next to you. Say, you're on the verge. Have you ever heard of the cabbage soup diet? No, we are not in a cult. No, we are not gonna start eating the same meals together. The cabbage soup diet, any, did anyone do it? Okay. One person. Now that tells you something, y'all. <laughs> the cabbage soup diet was this, this phenomenon, and it was science. Let me tell you the science. If you eat air, if you eat water, and you eat cabbage, you will look like Brad and Angelina Jolie. That, that was the science behind it, and guess what? It works. You also will probably die at a certain point, but there will be, there will be this point in time where you're thin, and my wife, God bless her, she has transformed into like a mini triathlon uh, running uh, athlete. So this is no diss to her, but she loves fad diets. And whenever something new comes out, she's like, guess what our family's doing? I'm like, let me guess, keto? You know? And that's the bad news, but you wanna hear the good news? It only ever lasts about six and a half hours. <laughs> So I'm like, oh, so let me, let me guess, we're gonna have keto for lunch today. So what happened was this cabbage soup diet came out. This is probably, you know, five, six years in our marriage. And she had a friend Erica over and Erica, now they spent all this money. Side note, one of the biggest conspiracy theories in America right now is, you know, it's exponentially more expensive to eat right than it is to eat bad. You know how many dollar cheeseburgers you can get? You know what I'm trying to say? It's ridiculous. Hashtag conspiracy theories. But what happened was we had spent all this money on all these like things to, to do this diet. And Julie had spent the entire day with Erica actually getting ready uh, to, to go on launching this thing. And then they had started and they were famished and all that. So I came home and purely as a joke, I was just like, hey, Erica, hey, Julie, I got an idea, all right? I know y'all are doing this diet, but what if we go to Buffalo Wild Wings, AKA B-dubs? Do you guys call it B-dubs here? You do? I thought that was just a hillbilly thing from Indiana. We love B-dubs. B-dubs is where we have the after party. You know what I'm saying? Save me a booth at B-dubs. And that's a real thing. And so I was like, what if we go to B-dubs and get wings and then get those wedges that have so much sodium that they're basically blocks of salt covered in cheese and bacon? And I said it clearly as a joke and both of them were like, yeah, totally, let's go. 
And that was the day that the cabbage soup diet died. It lasted six and a half hours and we hashtagged it diet of shame. Have you ever been on a diet of shame? Have you ever bought gear you never used in your home, your home gym, AKA the new thing to hang up your shirt? We live, this is who we are. You get your whole budget together and then blow the money that night. It's just like we, we live like this and, and we're on the verge. Let me tell you before we really jump in what on the verge feels like. On the verge feels like 4.59 p.m. on a Friday if you work the day shift. You know what I'm saying? It's Friday, Friday. She made her comeback. <laughs> the Lord is with her. I don't know if you saw that on the voice. Um, the verge feels like being 10 centimeters dilated three days after your due date. And I don't know what that's like, but I watched Julie go through it and it was nasty. <laughs> being on the verge, being on the verge. I mean, the verge is this, you know, this is the dictionary definition of the verge. It is the dotted line. It's the barrier. It's the invisible barrier. It's the thing that you come up to. But here's the thing about it. If you're on the verge and it's 4.59 p.m. and you hate your job and you hate your boss and everyone there and can't wait till the Lord miraculously promotes you from something that you hate, but he probably won't because you don't have character yet. You know, 4.59 will turn into 5 p.m. if you don't do anything. And you know what? No matter how pregnant you are, barring some kind of medical emergency, when she, once you get to a certain point, nature will begin to kick in and you'll do these things called contractions. And you know what contractions feel like, men? It feels like what happens after you eat Taco Bell at midnight. Someone say, I'm on the verge. <laughs> but see, nature has this way of helping us on the other side of the verge. You know, nature has this way of telling you you just made another bad choice with Taco Bell. Nature has a way of telling you no matter how much you want to stay pregnant, it's time for this baby to come forth into the world. But in the spiritual realm, you have to start the contractions. In the spiritual realm, somebody don't know I'm about to preach today. Three people heard me. I said, in the spiritual realm, you've got to cross over into that next era of time. You've got to move your own foot and step up into that 5 p.m. of your life. You can stay stuck at 4.59 for an entire lifetime. You know, as I begin to grow and mature in leadership, I realize there are two kinds of tests for you, those of you who are taking notes. There are timed tests and there are aptitude tests in life. And you know, I start, here's the thing, I'm gonna tell you a secret, and this is a secret from the Bible, we're gonna look at 2 Samuel in a few, but most of life is not a time test. You know, you hear Christians, they spiritualize everything, and I hate it. I'm just in a season. No, you're not, you're stuck on stupid. You are not in a season, you are in a season of disobedience, and you have chosen to stay in that season for a long time. And as I begin to go up and up and up in the things of God and be obedient, because in the kingdom of heaven, you advance one act of obedience at a time. That's why this entire thing was built on 12 dudes who were not that intelligent, because it was a key marker for all of us that your intelligence very often in life will not actually advance you, but paralyze you. Because you'll understand just enough to stay still too long to miss what God has for your life. But see, those time tests and those aptitude tests, sometimes, I, you know, when I became an exec pastor at Road to Life Church, I said, man, God, how am I leading someone who's 63 years old? 
And God said, because they peaked at 18 and they repeated that year 30 something times. And you're actually leading an 18 year old and a 63 year old's body, Mike. Now, what, it, what does that have to do with you? It's time to go January and June. You're on the verge. Somebody, I'm on the verge. You feel it? Now, there are time tests. There are, there are seasons that God will bring you into. We'll help you understand that. But I've discovered that 98% of what we go through in life is just a rebellion, a revolt against what God's submitting us to, a process to change us. And we have David. See, David, and we've been chronicling through his life, David had a timed season. There was a season where the Lord was like, you are gonna take care of these dirty, smelly, musty sheep on the backside of the hill until the designated time that the prophet Samuel is gonna show up and, and, and say you're gonna be the next king. And you're not getting out of that. There is no amount of aptitude. Yes, there's character building. Yes, there's trials and temptations. You're going to have to go through on the backside of that hill, but it's not until Samuel shows up that you're going to advance to the next stage. And then Samuel shows up and all of a sudden he designates David as the new king. And then under that new anointing, he kills a giant named Goliath. But see, the problem with that is that most Christians are really good at killing the giant without, but we cannot kill the giant within. And so now we find ourselves years into this journey after all the exploits, after launching churches in multiple regal theaters and taking over all of Long Island, New York City all goes V1, every five boroughs and, and then New Jersey too. Okay? And we're on the other side of all that. And this is the equivalency of what David had done with his life and ministry up to this point. And then he just gets tired of fighting. You ever, you ever got tired of fighting? You ever got to that place where you're like, you know what, I think I accomplished enough to just do nothing for a little bit in my life right now? Y'all don't wanna be real with me. This is why some of you are still hung over. This is the psychology behind why, why you did drugs last night because you're tired of fighting. You're tired, you did that before. You did the diet before. You tried with your marriage. You had dated your mate so many times and, that, and you never even mated your mate. You've done everything you can to get a good marriage and your marriage still dissolves into mediocrity and then worse than that, a tragedy. And now you're tired of fighting. David was at this point in his life. I look at it very sympathetic in the beginning, but God's always got an answer when you're on the verge. Are you ready? Second Samuel chapter 11. When that time of year came around again, the anniversary of the Ammonite, aggression, David dispatched Joab and his fighting men of Israel in full force to destroy the Ammonites for good. They laid siege to Rabbah, but David stayed in Jerusalem. Some other interpretations of this, this is the message. The NIV actually says, in the time that kings went to war. You know who David was? A warrior king. Can I just tell you a wisdom key that you can write down? You're never gonna get the right gas mileage for your life if you're living in the wrong gear. David was a warrior king. 
See, and, and what happened was, and you, you can get so much revelation from verse 1, from chapter 11. He was supposed to be out fighting, but he was tired of fighting. And he said, I'll exempt myself from this one battle. And see, there's a passivity that begins to creep into our lives. There's a lethargy that begins to creep into our lives. And we say, I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of being good, Mike. I'm going to go get something good. I'm going to do something good to try to fulfill this desire that I have. And this is the next wisdom key you can write down. The enemy will always destroy you by giving you the right thing in the wrong way. Satan is never going to show up to your door like a scantily clad woman with uh, horns and a pitchfork. Because you'd say, oh, uh, hey, Jules, the devil's at the door. What do we do? Did you invite him or did I invite him? How did he get here? Satan always shows up as the right thing but what he gives you is the wrong way to get it. Look at the garden experience with Adam and Eve. Oh, see, God's withholding some revelation and some knowledge for you. See, if they would have came into a place of relationship with God where they said, God, will you just show me? They could have got wisdom, revelation, understanding, but Satan said, you're gonna get it, but you're gonna get it the wrong way and it's gonna cause all humanity to fall. And, and see, they said, you're gonna get it through what? You're gonna get it through receiving the fruit. And now you have David with the same temptation. What's David's need? He has a need for rest. He has a need. And, and even as we continue to read, let's go one late afternoon, David got up from taking his nap and was strolling on the roof of the palace. He wasn't supposed to have a nap. He needed rest. But how many of you know that Jesus said, come unto me, all who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's a counterfeit rest. There's a counterfeit rest in pornography. Come on, does anyone hear me today? There's a counterfeit rest and you will receive that counterfeit rest. And all of a sudden he began to go on the roof after this nap and said, well, I've got another need. I have a sexual desire. How am I gonna fulfill that desire? And he began to look down and there it is. The direction of his affection needed to be realigned with the perfect will of God because he focused on a woman named Bathsheba when he had a wife in his own house who probably needed some love and affection. Can I get an amen for some men of God in the house? As I got older, I read this text differently. This, he was on the verge. He was on the verge. He was so close in this moment where he had a need. What if he would have took the direction of his affections and, and said, hey, wife, wife of my youth, wife that so desperately needs my attention in this hour, I would love to just be with you. I would love to know you more. But all of a sudden he went to a counterfeit. He went to a counterfeit. It's the right thing in the wrong way. That's the enemy's plan to take you out. It's never gonna be something off your radar. It's gonna be the thing that suits you, suits your needs the most. And look at, as we continue to read on chapter 11, it says this, David got up from taking a nap and was strolling on the roof of, the, of his place. From his vantage point on the roof, he saw a woman bathing. This wo woman was stunningly beautiful. And now you, as you begin to read chapter 11, he goes through this very extravagant, very elaborate attempt to get her there. He conceives a child, she's pregnant. She gives him the news of the pregnancy and then he uses his intelligence 
to actually weave a plot together to take that woman, Bathsheba's husband, put him on the front lines of a fierce battle, knowing he would be killed. And then after he's killed, takes Bathsheba as his own wife. And then the Bible gives an account at the beginning of chapter 12. It says, and the Lord was displeased with what David did. And you know, I'll tell you this much, there's really just three layers of intelligence that I've observed as a leader. There's this, and God bless them, the lower end of the spectrum, they're just happy. They don't see nothing wrong with nothing. They just love church. By golly, they did an amazing job today and I love V1, that place perfect. Pastor Mike's perfect, he delivers every sermon perfectly. And there's that level of intelligence. Then there's this upper echelon of intelligence. It's the Dr. Hugh Ross, who is a leading astrophysicist who begins to come into this understanding that the Hebrew account of creation corroborates with what we now know in late 90s astrophysics and begins to leverage that understanding to create a gospel movement among scientists where thousands of them come into the kingdom in the last 20 years. That's Dr. Hugh Ross. But the rest of us, we're just intelligent enough to put our leg in a trap. We're just intelligent enough to weave a plot together to try to get the thing that we want so badly the wrong way. And God and his mercy is needed in our lives so much. And so here we are in this place and God's speaking to you and God's trying to cause you to understand that you've got a January in June, that you have a new beginning, that you have a way where there seems to be no way, that you have a merciful God. But here's the thing, we all have blind spots. And we need a Nathan. And see, there was this prophet to the nation of Israel named Nathan who shows up. And Nathan begins to tell him, David, King David, in all due respect, I've got to tell you a story. And you're a shepherd, so you identify with this story. There's a man that actually had a sheep, but he only had one. There's another man who had many. The man who had many took that sheep for his own. And all of a sudden, in pure rage, seeing the injustice of this situation, David says, find this man. We're going to make him pay for the fullest of his crimes. And Nathan said, King David, you're stuck on stupid. It's you. That man is you. And this house of cards, all this plot that David had made, begin to come crumbling down in that moment. You need a Nathan. The Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. You see this scar? No, that scar is not from the devil. That scar is from my pastor. He wounded me. But he said, you know what? I've got to go in surgically and remove something for you because it's cancer. And if I don't get it out of your being, it's going to grow. And you're going to be completely out of the game. And see, a good Nathan in your life can tell the difference between a cough of a cold and a cough of cancer. And don't ever get mad at me for allowing the Holy Spirit to make a diagnosis and say, that thing will kill you if you don't walk away from it and too often we don't understand the severity of our sin because we play with it so much that we're saying well the fire only blisters but it doesn't kill but I'm here to tell you if you stay in the place you're in for too long you're going to miss the destiny that God's got for you it's in his mercy that he's brought me here to you today I don't know what I'm standing in the way of today I don't know what I'm standing in front of today but you can see that the 
same David who could kill the giant without, couldn't kill the giant within. It wasn't the thing on the outside that took him out. It's not the debilitating poverty from your childhood that's going to take you out. It's not even the infidelity in your marriage that's going to take you out. The thing that's going to take you out is the giant from within. The thing that you've got to stand up and say, I will now kill that giant. You're on the verge. I've been sensing so deeply in my soul that there are so many in our church, so many listening all around the world who are on the verge. The the church, the very kingdom of heaven is tipping now into a critical hour where those can no longer be spectators who used to be spectators. You no longer have the right or the ability to be on the sidelines. This thing demands participation. This is bigger than the dream team. This is called the word of God demanding that you enter into a new life and see David he tried he said I'm just going to try to stand on the sidelines this is what David said I, you know what that stage I, I can't I can't stay on that stage anymore that demands too much of my strength that stage demands too much of my energy that stage demands too much consecration that, that, that stage has taken too much from me I've given that stage everything that stage is what causes people to message me every single week and tell me all their problems and I got to counsel all of them I can't do that stage anymore and he he tried to come out to the sidelines, but he was living his life in the wrong gear. And some of you have tried to get on the sidelines, but it's time for you to stand up and say, I'll be counted among them. I'm going to live my life in the destiny of what God's got for me, and I'm no longer going to stand on the sideline. It was the nap that almost killed him. It was the nap. It wasn't the heroin. It wasn't the drugs. It wasn't the alcohol. It was it was sleeping when God didn't have a a season of sleep designated for him. The Bible says, in your refreshing, you yourself will be refreshed. It doesn't say sleep and lie down. It says, when you refresh others, you yourself will be refreshed. And so if you're here and you need sleep, if you're here and you need rest, I'll tell you the number one way to get it is to get into what God's got for you. It's to go all the way and say, count me among them. David was a warrior king. You better stand up and say, count me among this army. I'm here to fight. Come on, somebody. You are not made for the sidelines. You were not made for the sidelines. He was a warrior king. He almost lost everything. He almost lost everything, and he didn't lose it to Goliath. He lost it to a nap. You're going to lose something if you stay sleeping in this hour. While you're on your feet, I want to say one last thing. This entire message. Now, somebody's here and they're like, man, that was cool. It was cool. That's that's going to be what you say on the way home. That was cool. And there's someone else who's getting ready to get wrecked right now by God. Now, I've read this book several times in multiple translations. I'm going to tell you the essence of its message to you, okay? You ready? It's 66 books accumulated across culture, across time, and in, and in three different languages. And I'm going to tell you the essence of its message to you is you will never be enough to accomplish that which God has for you, but he will be faithful to always be enough for you to do what he's called you to do. So if you're here to tell me, you know what, Pastor Mike, I just can't do it. I'm here to tell you, you're right, you can't. But greater he that is in me than he that is in the world. And if God be for me, who can be against me, even myself? 
Are you ready, church? Do we got a church that's alive? Do we got a church on fire with the power of the Holy Spirit? Do we got a church that's ready for January and June? Come on, somebody. Here's what we're going to do. It's time to take the gloves off and bare knuckle fight now. It's time for you to get your grit back. It's time for you to get your fire back. It's time for you to get your purpose and your destiny and take it. The Bible says the kingdom of heaven suffers by violence, but the violent take it by force. I fully expect the enemy to fight me every single step of the way in this region, but we got a fight inside of us that never dies. That's why it says resist and he will flee. Resist. You know what resist is another way of saying outlast. Outlast. I'm putting my foot down. I'm putting my flag down. And you know what? I'm on the verge and I'm getting ready to step over now. Somebody's on the verge right now. Somebody's on the verge right now. Somebody has watched these worship services every single week go by and, and there's something kicking inside. I want to worship like I see them worshiping. I want to shout the way they shout. I want to get in. And you've been on the fringes. I'm telling you, today is your day. Don't miss your day. Today is your day. We have this hope that's so great, it makes us very bold. Why don't you close your eyes? As you have your eyes closed, I, I wanna share with you a vision of something that God gave me last night and, and, and it was like I couldn't sleep. But the vision that I saw is like, imagine a stove fully functioning with the gas hooked up, but the pilot needs to be lit. Some of you have all the machinery of everything you should have to have the good Christian life. You found a good church. Oh no, they're not perfect, but they're evolving and always trying to get better and the leadership's super accountable. We prayed for years and years for this, Pastor Mike. Praise God, that's not enough. You have all the machinery. Yes, I got a strong base of support around me, Pastor Mike. I've got godly, good Christian friends who wanna see me through every season of my life now. That's good, but that's not enough. After Jesus died, the early church was in this small window of time where they had all those things, but they were missing one thing. They were missing the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter two, it says they were in the upper room and they were all together on one mind and one accord, unity. It didn't say that they were dogging the leadership. It didn't say that they were criticizing what could get better about this early movement called the church. It didn't say they were arguing over graphic design. It didn't say they were arguing about the chord changes in the song. It didn't say that they were arguing about how things were supposed to be done. It says they were praying. Jesus himself flipped tables in the temple and said, my house will be a house of prayer, okay? And they begin to pray. And as they begin to pray, something was stirred up in the midst of them. And unity begin to increase even more and see every single time there's an attack of disunity it's because the enemy knows on the other side of unity there's going to be a release of the Holy Spirit and fire and there's something that's getting ready to be released in this theater right now and it was good for them 2,000 years ago and the fire of the Holy Spirit is still good for us on Long Island and I'm here to tell you you can have all the machinery you can have everything connected but until he lights your pilot with the fire of the Holy Spirit 
it, you will serve no purpose. Acts chapter one, verse eight says, after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, not before, not after you hear a good Billy Graham salvation message alone, but after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses and you will go locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally to spread the word and to do my will. So right now with every eye closed, if you're here, I just felt such, last night I feel like as your eyes are closed, I want some of you who have been around, think about some of the most powerful church experiences that you've ever had. Think about the moments at church camp where they gave that altar call and you were crying so hard and you could barely stand to get and get up to that altar so they could pray for you. You were trembling. Think about the times you've been in a worship service and, and all of a sudden you begin to weep because you got such a revelation about Jesus and his arms begin to enrapture you and you were so, it was so thick in his presence that you couldn't stop trembling. I want you to think about those times now. I want you to think about the times when you begin to read scripture and you were in the the midnight hour of your life and everything was so dark but you opened your Bible to the right page at the right time and the Holy Spirit was faithful to speak something to you in a season and, and you were able to get to the other side. Right now you are on the verge of that same very moment if you will step over. It's not going to change from 11.59 to midnight on its own. You've got to make an action step and step over. And the way that you're going to do that right now is with no one looking around. I want you to raise your hand and say, I'm ready to step over right now, January and June. I'm ready to step over right now. Come on, you can put your hands down. There's so many hands in this place. That's it, that's it. Let me, let me read something to you. When you go to the book of Psalm chapter 51, you're actually given a window into how David responded to the rebuke of Nathan the prophet. And it's a powerful insight into how God will probe our hearts in moments like you're having right now. It says, generous in love, God, give me grace. Huge in mercy, wipe out my bad records, scrub away my guilt, soak out my sins in your laundry. I know how bad I've been, my sins are staring me down. You're the one I violated and you've seen it all, seen the full extent of my evil and you have all the facts before you. Whatever you decide about me is fair and it says this, I've been out of step with you for a long time in the wrong since I was born. What you're after is truth from the inside out. Enter me then, conceive a new true life. The Bible gives account that David was a man after God's own heart. And he made a big mistake, but he said, God, put me in with your laundry because just like you don't do laundry once and never do it again, I need another scrubbing. I need another cleansing. There's some people in this place right now that are gonna learn that the righteous may fall seven times, but we get up eight times. And this isn't a story about perfection. This is a story about getting up. It's January and June. You're on the verge right now of your greatest moment, but it may feel like your greatest disappointment. Oftentimes they feel the same until you change your choice. When you lifted your hand, you changed your choice. I believe for those who are listening to the podcast, you can change your choice right now, wherever you're at. Come on, I want you to just close your eyes 
And for every single person who raised their hand, or for those who didn't, we're gonna say a prayer together now. And I believe that at the conclusion of this prayer, the Holy Spirit is just gonna come and meet you where you are and light your pilot. You ready? Say, Heavenly Father, scrub me, make me clean. I am yours and you are mine. Today, I choose to step through the verge to come on the other side of what you've called me to do. Today, I go V1. I am forever yours. And just right now, light me with the fire of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone shouted, amen. Come on, lift it up. Thank you for listening. Your experience doesn't have to end with this message. Visit us online at v1.church and send us a message. If you would like to help V1 reach New York and beyond, download the V1 Church app for iPhone and Android and click give. Join us this Sunday for our weekend celebration. Directions and info can be found on our website.